welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're in for a great morning this morning as I continue on our series, Identity. Everyone say Identity. We're up to week number seven. Identity seven. Identity seven. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Mick's already referred to it this morning, as I did last week in my introductory reading. It says, Jesus was troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. There was all these people in Jesus' world and yet he didn't allow people to get in the way of what he was called to do and that was to reach people. We as a church have been called to reach people. But if there's one thing that's going to disappoint us and if there's one thing that's going to stop us quicker than anything else, it's people. Church would be a wonderful place if it wasn't for people. But what makes church wonderful is people. Marriage is wonderful because of people. But what stuffs marriages up are people. It's true. It's true. Having children are wonderful, but the worst thing about having children is children. (laughs) Have you noticed that? That's what Jesus is saying here. So as a result of children getting in the way of my parenting, what should I do? Give up on them? No. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you getting this? What should I say in response to the fact that my wife is getting in the way of my marriage? What should I say? Give up? No. That's why I got married in the first place. That's what Jesus is saying. For the ladies who are feeling that their husband is getting in the way of their marriage, what should you say? Give up? Divorce him, he's a slob. Pick on all his faults. No. That's why he got married. And so it is with the church. Every one of you came to this church, whether you like it or not, because of people. You love the people. But you know what? You hang around long enough and pretty soon some of those people you love are going to let you down. And then you're going to feel like I have to go to another church. We can eradicate this jumping here, jumping there, divorce here, divorce there, affair here, affair there. If we could adopt the attitude of Jesus, and let me remind you, being a Christian is being a person that's in Christ. That's all a Christian is. That we say, should I give up? No, it's for this very reason that I came. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, no, it's for people that I came, so I can't let people get in the way of me reaching people. And the reason he could have such a, Strength of conviction is because he knew who he was. When you study the life of Jesus, there was many times he said, I am the son of God. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Jesus knew who he was. Therefore, he knew what he ought to do. The cross was his purpose. Jesus Christ came in the world to die. It wasn't like, "Uh uh-oh, went horribly wrong. No, that's why Jesus came. But it starts with knowing who you are. When you know who you are, you will know what 
to do. The first five weeks of this series was all about us understanding who we are, our being, our essence, because being must precede doing. The moment you try to find out who you are based on what you do, you're already on the wrong track. We need to settle who we are and who we are has nothing to do with what we do. But when you understand who you are, like Jesus did, you'll understand you have a purpose and you have a calling and you have a destiny. And that's what this series is about. Knowing who we are so that we will know what we ought to do. Identity, this series is all about discovering who we are so that we can discover our purpose and meaning for our lives. Last week, we looked at this question that I get asked more than anything else. And I think most pastors would say the same. It's this, what's the will of God for my life? And it's quickly followed by this question, when did you know the will of God for your life? And I started last week by saying, well, you know what? I didn't know the will of God and there's many aspects I still don't know. And I hope that sets some of you free. I hope it gives you opportunity just to breathe a little bit. And then we went into some things and I appreciate all the feedback. Apparently, I'm a really funny guy. That's the feedback I got. In my humour, I hope you caught what was actually said. I hope you got the point to all the fun and uh, joy and enlightenment that we had last week. We looked at the fact, when it comes to finding the will of God, while there's many things I don't know, there are some things that I do know. And I'm a great believer in starting with what you do know. And we looked at three of those things last week and I want to look at three more today. The first one was seek God, not his will. The second was be willing to do anything. And the third one was make the most of now. Cheers. And it was great apparently. Awesome. Awesome. There we go. Fantastic. You must go for the crows. Man of wisdom. Anyway, there we go. Um, Make the most of now. You know, too often we despise the now. Can I just say this? Even if you have a sense of your calling and a sense of your destiny, even if you have a, a, a slight understanding of where you're heading, you still have to flesh it out. You still have to walk out those unctions, those thoughts, those feelings that you have about your future. Joseph was a young man who had a dream and it involved his future. But he still had to walk out his now. He had this sense that he was going to be this great ruler and somehow his family were going to bow down to him. He didn't quite get that. But you know what? In his youthful enthusiasm, he went up to his brothers and said, hey guys, guess what? Had a dream. And I was in it and you were in it. And guess what? In this dream, you guys ended up bowing down to me. Isn't that awesome? He was about 17. Um. And he didn't understand at that time that when you're a little bit older and your little brother's telling you that you know, you're going to bow down and, and, and worship, it's not going to go down well. In actual fact, it went down so badly that they decided to kill him. Ever felt like killing your younger brother? That's how they felt with Joseph. But Joseph still had to walk out and live in the everyday and the here and now. And I say that to set you free because if 
You try to make your destiny happen. If you try and make your purpose happen, it'll get weird. And some people wonder why we don't do something that many of you have been involved in, who have been in Christians for many years in possibly other churches, and that is prophesy over people. Well, I, I believe in that. I do it. I've been prophesied over and I've had some things said in my lives that have actually come to pass, which is great. But the moment you hear a word, which is based upon a future event in your life, the moment you try and make that happen now, it gets weird. Because what we tend to do with a prophetic word, let's just say, for example, you're going to be a great prophet to the nations. What we tend to do is get around people who are prophets, who are that bit older than us, and then we tend to mimic them, thinking that if I'm going to be a prophet, then I've got to start acting like a prophet. And that's how an act, a prophet acts. But that prophet that we're mimicking has taken years to get there. And when you're in your teenage years or in your early 20s and you're acting like a prophet who's in his 40s, 50s, 60s or even 70s, it gets real weird real quick. But you say, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just setting my path. I'm a, I've been prophesied over. I'm a mighty man of faith and I need to do this. And so I get around this person. I'm going to start acting like them. And it actually gets real weird. And so they start becoming, you know, they, they lose their humour, they lose their sense of fun, and they just become a pain in the neck. You can't make your destiny happen. You've got to make the most of now. Which brings me to my fourth point, and it's simply this. Be obedient to what you know. This is real simple stuff. Because I want to get rid of the weirdness that's in church circles when it comes to your future. Your future is not as spooky as most people make it out to be. There's many things about my, uh, the will of God for my life I did not know and there's still many aspects I do not know. And these are the things I revert back to every time. Stick with what you know. Mark Twain said, it's not the things I don't know that concern me most, it's the things I do know and rightly so. Let's start with the things that we do know. In this world, there is the known will of God and the unknown will of God. There's lots of things about God that we don't know. You know, if you're going to start reading your Bible, let's just say you're a new Christian and you don't know the word of God and you want to start reading the Bible, don't start with the book of Revelation. Most young believers do. And yet the book of Revelation has proved a sticking point for many, many people in the interpretations of this thing and that thing. Yet, there are many things that are just very obvious and very spelt out. For example, when Jesus said, you know, the law can be hinged on these two things, love God and love people. You know, that's really easy to understand. There's no red horse to concern yourself with. There's no black horse to concern yourself with. There's no date of when Jesus is coming back or this or that. And what will that look like? There's no fiery dragons. There's nothing. It's just love people. Do that. I think we could turn this community upside down and inside out if we just love God and love people. If you never understood the book of Revelation, but we just understood love God, love people, I think we could turn our community inside out and upside down. I really do. It's not that hard. And even if you are a prophet to the nations, you've still got to be one that loves God and loves people. Otherwise you get weird like Balaam and then donkeys start talking back to you. You don't want that. So stick with what you know to do. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. You know, if we would just do the basics well, I think we would come into some of the more specifics. If we would just do the easy things well, I think we would come into the harder things. If we would just do the known things well, I think we would come into some of the unknown things that God is asking of us. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, sometimes we do anything but what God is asking us. Have you noticed that? When God says, you know, forgive your brother and someone's done something wrong and you've refused to forgive, but we try to make up with it with sacrifice. Well, so we go to church twice on Sunday. He goes, that's cool. That's great. There's a place for that. But you know what? I'm asking you to forgive your brother. And so we say, okay, we put more money, more money into the offering. That'll, that'll shut God up. And he said, no, no, just forgive your brother. You want peace with God? Obey God. If you want to know, have a sense of your future, a sense of your purpose, a sense of your calling, just be obedient to what you know. When you live with unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison for yourself, hoping someone else will die. Unforgiveness does not help anybody. Most of all, you. I had a phone call from a man I dearly love in another part of the world. And he rang me just to say, hey, Tony, um, this may seem a little bit weird, but I just want to know, have I offended you? in any way, shape, or form. And I said, one, I appreciate the phone call, thank you. Two, you have not offended me. And I don't really know what you're on about, but you know, the fact that we're talking, let's just catch up on old times. And we did have a great conversation. But I went on to say to him, I said, you know what? Um, before you think too highly of myself for not getting offended, I said, you know, it's, 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 yes, I love you and I respect you, but it's more out of a love and respect for myself that I choose not to live with offence why would I want to live with an offence toward anybody knowing that's only going to hurt me how did you find the will of God for your life just do what the Bible says don't start with red horses, black horses, pink horses pale horses start with love God love people forgive. Start there. If we would do that, I guarantee that that will open doors for us into the future. Is this making sense this morning? See, great achievers will often tell you that they never had a great plan for their life. They were just obedient in the moment. They were just obedient in the moment. In actual fact, I'll go as far to say this. Most heroes don't set out to be heroes. Have you noticed that? They just responded well in their now moment. They were just obedient. You know, when someone chooses to be a hero because they choose to step into someone's life and help, that's a Bible verse. Help others. Do unto others as you would have do unto you. That's a step of obedience. That's all it is. And then when they, when they actually act out of obedience, they become this hero and say, oh, you're such a hero. I said, no, I'm not. I, just, I, just, I was just there. I just responded a certain way. Now you are calling me a hero. But heroes never set out to be heroes. They were just people that responded in obedience to what they know they ought to do. 
I don't know if you saw uh, on the television yesterday, but there's a whole thing, it's quite viral on, on, on uh, YouTube. This granny attacks five robbers. It's so cool. She's got bright red hair. It's been coloured. And she's got a handbag. And she sees, her, she sees these guys all with helmets on and motorbikes. And they're smashing into this shop. And so she runs up to them and starts hitting with the handbag. <laughs> and they all flee. And when they asked her later what she was thinking, she said, well, I th- initially I thought they were beating up a little kid. So she thinks, on the moment, I would hate that being done to me and runs over to help, only to find out actually they're breaking into a shop. But she thinks, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. So she just starts. (laughs) Then she asks this, would you do it again? And she said, I realise it's pretty reckless. But if someone was in danger, yes, I would. Little old lady with red hair. Become a hero. I don't imagine she got out of bed one day and thought, oh, right, today's the day I become a hero. Yet we as Christians, today's the day I find the will of God for my life. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Stop being weird. If you think like that, you are thinking, you're a weirdo, let's be honest. Just like that little woman did not wake up thinking, I'm going to be a hero today. No, she just got up and did what she knew she had to do. She's walking along, maybe going to buy some groceries or something, I don't know. But see something and something inside her compels her to do the right thing. And then she becomes a hero. How did I stumble into the will of God? And it's a stumbling. It's just by saying yes to worship leading. It's just by saying yes to cleaning toilets. It's just by getting involved. It's just by growing up from a young, as, a, as a young man from a very early age, which is kind of the way it works, isn't it? <laughs> just saying sorry. You know, there's one thing Dad instilled into us is that you kiss and make up. And you know, boys will be boys, yes, granted. But even boys kiss and make up. And they tell each other, you're sorry. They look each other in the eye and say, I love you. And they ask for forgiveness. That's what, yeah, boys will be boys. But on top of that, this is how boys respond. And so from a very early age, when Pete and I, I mean, we had some doozy fights. You better believe it. I mean, we had some little punch-ups and it was, it was great. Baz, Baz wasn't much competition, but Pete, there was a bit of competition. <laughs> we had fights. And you can't just turn them, oh, boys will be boys. Yes, they will. They will. Your boys will be boys. But it was instilled into us to say sorry. Where's that come from in the Bible? Look each other in the eye. Tell them I love you. About loving God, loving people. If you can't love your own family, you can't love others. And so we walk up to each other. Bottoms glowing. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, I'm, I'm sorry, mate. And he'd say, I'm sorry. I, I start up, so yeah. <laughs> I love you, man. Love you too, man. We did that from the age of five, four, somewhere in there. Just, I think those things set us up well. 
Just those basic things. Where did you know the will of God? Did you wake up one day and it's hot? No. Did you wake up and in the middle of the night and there's these angels dancing on your bed and just giving you a sign? No, never happened. Did you hear the audible voice of God? I am leading a church and I've never, ever, 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 ever heard the audible voice of God. If you think less of me now and want to leave, that's fine. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. I'm too busy. I'm too busy trying to read his written word and get that around my head. If God never speaks to me ever again, I've got enough to go on. I'm going to put this down. It's getting a bit heavy. David. You know the story of David and Goliath? I mean, you know, I realise not everyone's a Christian here. and Maybe it's your first time in church and you're welcome here. We, we, we love to have you. Let's, one more time, just appreciation for those who are here for the very first time. It's great. It's awesome. We exist for people like yourselves. And so you are welcome, 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 welcome. But I imagine, even if you haven't had no church background, you know the story of J- David and Goliath, this little guy, this big giant. You, you, yeah. Well, here's the deal. Before that happened, before that elusive art moment happened, before David and Goliath was, David was. You've got to get this. Before David and Goliath, it was David, the shepherd. And David, as a shepherd, was asked to go to the battle lines to meet his brothers and take a sandwich. Take them some food. And so just when David thought it couldn't get any worse, I'm a shepherd, now I'm a lunch monitor. Are you kidding me? When did David know the will of God for his life? I don't know, shepherd, now I'm lunch monitor. We remember David and Goliath. We don't remember David, the lunch monitor. You heard about this? We don't celebrate the process. That's our problem. We celebrate success, but we don't ever celebrate the journey, nor do we celebrate the process. But before David and Goliath was, David, the lunch monitor was. And David, the shepherd boy was. And so David just obeys his father. And the great thing about that story is not only does he obey his father and take the lunch, but he obeys his father's first command and that was to look after the sheep. You can read it in your own time in 1 Samuel 16. You'll read about a young man, I think it's 17, a young man who's been asked to look after the sheep. Now he's asked to do something else. Now... On top of that, I want you to take some lunch to your brothers and see how they're doing. And so as he sets off, or just before he sets off to take the lunch, he makes sure there's another shepherd looking after the sheep, ensuring everything dad has told him to do is in place. See, sometimes we're like, you know, God speaks and then we drop everything we've heard before just to do the latest thing. It's not how it works. You know, God may be calling you to a certain area of ministry or, or a certain lifestyle or whatever a job. But if you're married, you'll always be married. And you don't just drop the marriage for the sake of this new thing. Make sense? So if you want to know the will of God for your life, if you want to come into your purpose and destiny, be obedient to what you know. Secondly, well, it's actually fifthly, continuing on from last week, fellowship up. Fellowship up. If you hang around turkeys, you'll become a... Hang around idiots. You've got to fellowship up. You've got to position yourself in a place where people are stronger and better and bigger than you are. 
I love this story, just picking up, keeping with David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he says, When Eliab, and that's David's oldest brother, heard him speaking to the men. So David's done the right thing. The, shepherd are being, the sheep are being looked after by another shepherd. He's gone to the battle to encourage his brother, give them some food. And then he just starts asking some questions. What's going on? He's 17 years of age. You know, when you're on all these army and the spears, it's, it's exciting for a young boy. And so he's asking all these questions. And Eliab, the oldest brother, uh, when he heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger against him and asked, what, uh, sorry, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few stinking sheep in the desert? I added stinking. All right. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have come down only to watch the battle. David must be thinking, what battle? Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. Some of you want to come into this elusive will of God for your lives and you never will because you're hanging around the wrong people. You're hanging around people who are going to pull you down. The tall poppy syndrome is alive and well in Australia. The moment you want to make a go of something, you'll have people who want to pull you down. Who do you think you are? We know who you are. You're from Elizabeth. We know who you are. You're from Nazareth. You're just a carpenter's son. Got illusions of grandeur. We know who you are. Eliab looks at David and says, what are you doing? And where did you leave those stinking sheep? You've come only to watch a battle. For 40 days, there has been no battle. Only fear. As Goliath came up and said, come on, someone fight me. Nobody. Someone fight me. No one. Someone fight me. And he goes, you've only come to see the battle. What battle? And so David separates himself from his family. He separates from those who know him best and takes up the matter with someone else. When Jesus was looking to build a team, he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Jesus did not ask that question because he didn't know who he was. He wanted to know if they knew who he was. In other words, the people I'm closest to have to get me. And Peter, by divine revelation, says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, good, I can work with you guys. I can work with you guys. I can't be fighting with those closest to me all the time on the most basic things. There'll always be a measure of that with the crowd, but not with the inner circle, not with those closest to him. Who do you say that I am? I need to know that you know who I am in order to work with you. Your friends, those around you need to know who you are. They need to love you. They need to want the best for you. They don't want to be ones who just keep you where you're at. And when you say, what what, what do you think? I'm I'm thinking about going out of this vocation into something else. I know it's dangerous. I I know there's some risk involved. Uh, You need some people to say, you know what? Based upon your track record, based on this, based on that, based on that, I think you should do it. Not someone who's going to say, you shouldn't do that because, you know, when you break it all down, I'm jealous. You need people that love you and want the best for you. What I've learned is this, that God loves us, but everyone else has a plan for us. 
And what we often find is people will tell you not to get involved, not because they care about you, but because they're using you as a pawn in their game called complacency. You know, some of you right now through this series, you've been sensing some stirring going on. And if you get around the wrong people, that stirring will die. If you get around the people who, who, have, who, have, who aren't good for you, and it doesn't mean they're bad people, it just means they're bad for you. If you get some, someone who's been burnt by a church or burnt by a pastor, and you start talking about the dreams that you've got in your heart, and they say, oh, I used to think like you. Yeah, but you'll be watch out. He says that now, but after a while of serving, those people in your life are not going to help you get to where God wants you to be. And so you've got to separate yourself. The first act of possession is separation. Do you know that? You've got to learn to separate yourself from the wrong people and associate with the right people in your world. If you don't, people will put things on you. When David had decided, I want to take on Goliath, he goes to Saul, listen to this, Saul chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He, he realised this is the king of the day. He realises he can't stop David, um, so at least he can try to protect him. So Saul puts on David his own armour. He put on a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over his tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. So he's got all this armour that doesn't fit. And now he's trying to walk. And he's thinking, my goodness me, you just made a very difficult job really hard now. I've got to take on a Goliath. I've got to take on a giant called Goliath. And now I can't even walk. People, God loves you, but people have got a plan for your life. Put this on. Put this on. Stay here. You don't have to go to church tonight. Stay here, watch television. And they put something on you. They put something on you. And pretty soon you're walking around like this. It doesn't manifest like it looks like this. Bless me, I dare you. It looks like this, getting more passionate about other things in the will of God for your life. Hey, look, when I go to football, I'm as loud and as vocal as Kerry, I am. But at least it's matched by what I do here. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not against being vocal in other things and having fun. He says, I cannot go in these, he says to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off and then he took his bag, sorry, his staff in his hand, chose five small stones from the stream and put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Saul tries to put on David what fitted him. It didn't fit David. David responds this way, takes all the stuff off that belonged to Saul and then it says he took his staff in his hand. In his shepherd's bag, with his sling. And with all those hisses in his life, he attacked Goliath. With his sling, he attacked Goliath. When I was asked as a young man to go into ministry, and you need to hear this, you're going to laugh because it's sad. But I'll never get a pastor, his name was Paul Benithan, he groomed me from. 18 to 23. Spent a lot of time just with me. But at the age of 18, I'll never forget, I was at roller skating because it was a youth event and he's skating alongside me, which was very uncool. 
And he asked me this weird, ridiculous question at roller skating. Now, I'm a good roller skater, as all of those who come tomorrow for Mitchie's birthday will find out. I'm, just, I'm good at roller skating. And he asked me this question, have you ever thought about ministry? I'm 18, I'm at roller skating. And I said to him this, I said, nah, no way, and skated off. This guy that you're looking to to find the will of your God for your life started like this, nah, no way, and skated off. And I never forget going to bed that night because it plagued me, my, my response. It was terrible. I never forget thinking, why did I respond that way? And I came to this pathetic conclusion. The reason I didn't want to be in ministry is because most pastors I knew, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this is, this is a young 18-year-old thinking. All the pastors I know, for the most part, are overweight and bald. And I don't want either of those for my life. So I said no and skated off. Yes, this is your pastor speaking. Because I was letting stereotypical thinking creep into my life. And then I felt God just, just again, there's just the impression, some thought. So who says it has to be that way? And this may seem superficial to the hilt, but it got me over the next step in my life. I felt God say this to me. This is bizarre. This is weird. Maybe God doesn't speak to you like this, but this is how he speaks to me. I felt God say this in order just to encourage me, not to live there, but to encourage me. I don't think like this now, but I did back then, okay? I felt God say, Tony, if you look after your health, I'll look after your hair. And on that... I thought, okay, next step of obedience. It's pathetic. But that response opened up the next door. What I'm trying to say, everything about my life was not an incredible you know, moment. It was a series of events. It's a journey and it still is. I'm discovering things about myself back then and I, I still am today. But what I also want you to know about that particular story is that God is not as superficial or as fickle as us. I honestly, that's how I heard it from God. And he was secure enough in my future to say it that way to me. It's an amazing thing. You look after your health. And I'll look after your hair. So I get in the gym and then look at my mirror. All right, all right, all right. Which brings me to my last point. Become more aware. A lot of finding your purpose has to do with awareness, not thinking. In actual fact, thinking will get in the way of finding your purpose. You tend to overthink it. Awareness is more about listening than thinking. Awareness is more subliminal than rational. For example, have any of you sensed danger when everything's fine? It's that kind of thing. And if we could tap into our awareness, we would become far more aware of what we could become than if we just rationalize everything and overthink everything and limit our understanding to our thinking. 
It's only, uh, sorry, awareness creates seasons of uncertainty and insecurity, but when you're prepared to face those things such as uncertainty and insecurity, it will open great doors to you. If you take David and Goliath again as an illustration, I'm going to close with this thought. But David was a man who was willing to do the whatever, look after sheep, be a lunch monitor. He was doing the whatever. He was doing the obedient thing, go to your brothers, and he did. So he obeys his father. It's when he gets to the battlefront, he senses something on the inside that goes off in him. The Bible says it this way, when David rocked up to see his brothers, it was just at the time when Goliath came out and made his taunt to the Israelites. And there was something that went off in David's life at that moment. It's something that he'd felt before. It's something that he'd seen before. And that's the way God works. When you, when you start coming into your purpose, there'll always be a deja vu moment. Because God has been preparing us so that when the day is now, when the day is right, when the time has come, you can look back and say, hang on, I've been here before. I've felt this before. And I think David's dropping the lunch off to his brothers. He hears Goliath and this feeling goes off. It's, he's felt it before. It's the same feeling he had when a bear came and attacked his sheep. Something went off on him. David says, when a bear came to my sheep, I ran after the bear, clubbed it over the head. It let go of the sheep and then I attacked the bear and he killed the bear. David must have, oh, I don't know what it was about and kind of, just come on sheepy. But then it happened again another day when he's looking after the sheep. A lion comes. And I imagine David, something goes off in him again. And he rescues the bear, for, uh, sorry, the, the sheep from the lion's mouth. The lion's not content. He's hungry. He's going to, okay, if I'm not going to eat the sheep, I'll eat this skinny kid. And then David rips the lion apart. So David's been here before. And now David's on the lunch, uh, lunch monitor duties, but also he's got the same feeling. He's becoming aware, maybe I'm more than just a shepherd. Maybe I'm more than just a lunch monitor. Why is it that I respond this way in certain situations and circumstances? Why is it when all the trained soldiers are running away, I just want to run toward this guy? What is going on on the inside of me? It's called destiny. It's called purpose. It's called meaning. It doesn't make sense. You're a young boy. You're untrained. You don't have any armour. The trained soldiers are scared. You should be scared. And if David thought about it, maybe he would have thought scared thoughts. But he said, you know, I, but I feel like I want to take him. I feel like I want to fight. I feel like I can take this guy. Have you ever felt like that? That's why you need to be hanging around the right people. Because Eliab, the big brothers aren't going to say, go for it. He had something like, he didn't set out to be a king. He didn't set out to be the hero. He was just doing the, oh, the obedient thing and taking his lunch to his brothers. But now there's something going on and he can't deny it. He says, well, I just want to take him. They said, well, well, you better at least speak to the king. So he speaks to the king. The king realised, I can't stop this kid. 
And so David now, he grabs these stones in his hand and puts them in his shepherd belt. And he just runs, he's laughing, he's jumping, he's leaping. He's running towards his purpose. He's running towards his destiny. He's not running towards a giant. He's running smack bang into the centre of God's will for his life. And that's where every one of us should be heading. Smack bang in the centre of God's will for our lives. It doesn't make sense. Stop overthinking it. It doesn't make sense. And then he's prophesying. He says, oh, I'm going to cut your head off. This is David, the skinny runt of a kid. He's saying, I'm going to cut your head off. All he's got is stones. It's like, are you crazy? Yes. Got to become aware. Peter was aware that there was something on the voice of Jesus come as he gets out of the boat and he starts walking. It was only when he began to overthink it that things went down for him. The will of God is something we become aware of. When I was asked to plant this church under the most unusual extreme conditions and circumstances. The pastor that planted us out had never heard me preach and he'd never asked me to do anything. I could have said, oh, he's just trying to get rid of me. And maybe he was. He doesn't know what to do with me. He doesn't like me. Maybe that was true. But this I cannot deny. When he said, do you want to plant a church? There's something went off on the inside of me. I thought, I've been here before. I, 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 know, I know this feeling. It doesn't make sense. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I'm the right guy. I mean, look at me, pastor. Are you kidding me? But I can't deny this feeling. I felt it when I was asked to lead worship. I felt it when I was asked to publicly speak for the first time. I felt this feeling before. And if I'd allowed thinking to get the better of me, I never would have responded the way I did. You start becoming aware. And I start to remember the fond memories of leading people in worship and seeing people respond to the goodness of God. I said, wow, I think that's something in my future. I don't know what it looks like, but I think it's some of that. And by responding in all these ways, it gets really exciting. You don't find, I want, I want to finish with this statement. If our musicians can come. You don't find the will of God by seeking it out, but by living in the moment and asking why you responded a certain way. You respond and then why did I respond like that? I think David's running towards Goliath. What, why am I doing this? Because there's something going on on the inside. And I'm not saying everyone's called to full-time ministry per se. I'm not saying that you're going to draw a salary from the church. I am saying this, that God has not put you here on planet earth for you just to do your own thing. God has put incredible gifts in every one of you. And He hasn't asked you to use that gift to use against the church. Many people use what God has given them and use it against the church. Some people are very in, insightful and they pick up a sense of, I don't want to get involved in that because that's going to lead to this, this and this. So they don't get involved. No, we should be getting involved. 
I want to leave this thought with you. If God has gifted you a certain way to do a certain thing, and the only thing He's building on the earth today is His church, and the only thing that He's coming back for is the church, why did He gift you a certain way? Surely it has to have something to do with building the church. And it has to have something to do with preparing the church for His day of return. Again, that doesn't mean you'll be salaried by the church. It means using what you have in your workplace. It means being such a great mum in the now with young kids, instead of wishing this time away, being the best mum you can and let that mothering that you do right here, right now, speak to all those you come in contact with. And people say, what is it about you that you don't seem to panic about being a mum like I do? What is it about you? And then we make the most of that opportunity. Some of our greatest evangelists are in this room. They don't even know it yet because you're wishing you're now away. Our greatest example of this is Jesus, who for 30 years was obedient to the Father. Thirty years just doing everything the Father said, no public ministry. And then there was a now moment. And Jesus performs his first miracle at the age of 30. That's a lot of days, that's a lot of weeks, that's a lot of months, that's a lot of minutes, that's a lot of seconds that have gone by. When Jesus, the Saviour of the world, just sits and responds in obedience to everything the Father's saying. But when his now moment comes, he's ready. And just to mess with every religious head, Jesus make, God makes the first task of Jesus to turn water into alcohol. I love it, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's like God said, how can I be, how can I be controversial at the same time as helpful? <laughs> and when God makes a drop of wine, it's not just good, it's great. It's the best winemaker. <laughs> when the host of the party tastes the wine that Jesus has turned from water into wine, my goodness, this is the best wine. Will you please stand with me? We're going to sing a song, and as we sing a song, a little cup and a little piece of bread is going to come past. And I'd love for you to partake in this meal with us. It's a meal where we remember Jesus. It's a meal where we forget about the power, we forget about the crows, we forget about work, we forget about our family, we forget about our children. We just focus in on what Jesus has done for us. If you're visiting this morning, I'd love for you to partake in this meal. It's the most powerful meal. It's small in symbolism, but it's, it's massive in significance. Heavenly Father, I pray that through these words that I've shared over the last seven weeks, we could somehow appropriate them to where we are in the here and now. And I ask in Jesus' name that you breathe upon these words as they are listened to over and over again, as they're downloaded, Lord. And without getting weird or without getting impatient, we could somehow come into your good, perfect and pleasing will through appropriating some of these simple truths. 
And we ask this today, not that we might boast as a local church, but we ask these things, dear God, that we could get on with your will and so see your name glorified. Because you are our greatest champion, our greatest hero that's ever lived. And, and right now, Father, we just want to eat and drink in remembrance of all that you've done for us. And so minister powerfully at this time, I pray in your precious name. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.